morning, everybody. How are you today? Good. It's good to be with you. A real privilege. Um, hold on. I'm going to take these off for a little because I can't see, and then I'll put them on again and take them off. Anyway, um, it has been such fun to be with you all weekend um, and to get you, to know you guys a little. Because I've not been before, I thought I'd introduce you to my family. They aren't actually here, but I have pictures. So, yay. Picture. Picture number one. This is my fam. Um, I am, a, like I said, I'm a Nigerian by heritage. Um, Nigerian by blood, um, Londoner by birth. I knew there's a Nigerian in the house. There always is. Thank you. I see you. I see you. And, and, um, and, but here's the fam. My husband, that's Chris. He's a Brit. He was born in Scotland. He's five years younger because why not, friends? Why not? And, uh, and um, I'm not sorry. And then I have two daughters. I have two daughters and um, one's, uh, one's 12, one's 13. And one's really into volleyball. Others really into the arts. Lots of fun. We also have a dog. There's a dog in the picture there. I didn't ask for the dog, but they promised me. They said, we will take care of the dog. We'll do everything for the dog. We'll look after it for the dog. Guess who's taking care of the dog? You have been warned, friends. You have been warned. Um, Anyway, because America and the UK are very different countries, it's not even the same language. I believe I speak American English as a second language. It's a different thing. So I was trying to get into the culture here. So one of the things I've noticed is that you guys do Christmas cards differently. Like in England, when you do your Christmas cards, they're like pictorial scenes, whereas often I've seen here are pictures of the family, like your family, your friends. So I thought, I'm going to do the same. So I thought, right. This is my moment. I thought I'd be in Scotland because Americans seem to like Scotland um, and old buildings and old rocks and things. And I thought, I'll take a picture. So this was the family picture. This was the family picture (laughs) on a hill in Scotland. And I remember talking to my father-in-law, my beloved father-in-law at the time, and said, Tim, do we look okay? Do we look okay? And he said, yes, Joe, you look great. I said, Tim, is everybody smiling? He said, yes, Joe, everybody's smiling. What my beloved father-in-law neglected to tell me is, Joe, pin the weave down. (laughs) And so this, friends, was the Christmas card. Nobody got a card that year. No one, nothing. I'm living, I'm learning. Um, I do feel a particular affinity with you this week, having li- living in Minneapolis, lived there for seven winters. I don't know how many years that is, but seven winters. <laughs> and this particular one, it does feel like a heat wave today. I thought we'd all be like here in shorts and t-shirts, because now today I can breathe as I go outside. I don't snap off my nasal hair because it's not frozen. It's all very exciting. So anyway, for today, for our time, I'm going to be looking through John chapter 6. I didn't have a good, comfortable segue in, so I thought I'd just change. Um, I'll be looking at John chapter 6, a very familiar passage to many of us. I'm putting on the glasses because I'm trying not to be in denial about this necessity. I'm going to be reading from John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. And I think it'll be up on the screen for you as well. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. 
Then Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Peter answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how will they go among so many? How far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took loaves, gave thanks, and he distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who'd eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. It's a fascinating passage, a fascinating story, and maybe it's one that's very familiar to us. We see it in all four of the Gospels. We see it in Matthew chapter 14, Mark chapter 6, Luke chapter 9, and then in John chapter 6 as well. Often described as the feeding of the 5,000, but sometimes also called the feeding of the multitude. We know from the story there are 5,000 men there, but as we look at the arc of the story, we know their families are there. And sometimes I've been in environments where people have tried to calculate and said, you know, well, if it's the guy's there and his wife is there and his two kids are there, then maybe there are like 20,000 people there or something. And I'm like, well, this isn't set in Europe where people have 2.4 kids. (laughs) Um, This is the era and the space of extended families. Beyond as far as we can see, there are that many people there. And Jesus feeds them all, feeds them all, meets all their needs. And there are many things we could take from this passage and we could take about the fact that he is a miraculous provider because that's what we see here. There are some theologians who describe this as a miracle of sharing, that what actually happened was that the boy brought out his food and then other people decided to bring out their food. And I thought, that's a lot of verses for someone just sharing their Lunchables. (laughs) That there is more happening in this story than someone admitting they have a sandwich somewhere hidden. But we'll look at the provision and we'll look at the miracle. But the way I'd like to look at it today is I want to look at the scenery and the setting of this passage, where the people are at when this miracle takes place, because I believe it's significant for each and every one of us. That yes, there's a story about provision. Yes, there's a story about a miracle. But what I want to look at is the fact that God met a group of people who were desperate, who were desperate, so desperate they chased him over the hillside. And that when God met them, he had more than enough for them. But that the breakthrough came when they surrendered. The breakthrough came in a place of surrender. So we'll be looking at what it looks like to be desperate, how Jesus, how God is more than enough in the desperation, but that the breakthrough came in surrender. Now to set the scene for you, the setting of this environment when this event takes place is the Passover festival. And everybody in that time would have known exactly what that meant. They were remembering and celebrating when God did a mighty miracle for their ancestors. 
If you're familiar with the book of Exodus, you'll know that at that point in their history, the people of God had been enslaved and brutalized by the Egyptians. They'd been more than taken advantage of. They had been crushed. Every generation of them crushed again and again and again by the then superpower. And what God did is through Moses and Aaron and Miriam and through his power, he showed that he was a mightier power than the world's greatest superpower. And he delivered them and brought them into freedom. The Passover festival marked one particular night, their last night before freedom, where God moved in such a way that was devastating for the Egyptian people, but um, brought them, the God's people, an opportunity and a moment where they could finally be free. They were remembering this glorious moment in their history. But it's also an incredibly ironic moment to remember such freedom, such victory in the midst of their own desperation. You see, the people of God were oppressed again. It'd been a long time since they owned their own land. Oppressor after oppressor after oppressor. This time it was Romans, the Roman rule, the might of Rome defined their very existence. And so how ironic that they are going to celebrate and feast what God has done, yet wondering, will God come again? Where's your mighty deliverer now? Where is your freedom now? Where is your hope now? It had been hundreds of years since the days of the prophets. And the one who seemed that he would bring something new, John the Baptist, who was preaching in the wilderness, looking kind of crazy, but speaking a word of hope. He'd just been beheaded after speaking truth to power. And then there's this Jesus character, this rabbi, this teacher who speaks with an authority no one has seen before, who heals the sick, who overturns um, the the socio, what's the word I'm using for in English and America? Okay, societal norms, that's the word I was looking for, who overturns the norms of their society, that was so much easier to say it that way, um, and turns things around. And so when Jesus, and if we look at the other versions of this passage, Jesus was actually trying to take his disciples away at this point. Incredible things had already happened and they were going away for some rest. They move away and then a few 20, 40, 50,000 people are like, surprise, we're still here. And they show up because they are desperate for more of God. That's the setting of this story. That's the context of this story. People who are hungry, who are beyond the end of the end of themselves. They're hungry for food, but they're hungry for God and they're hungry for something and they're hungry for hope. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where you are desperate and you are beyond the end of the end of yourself? Desperate for hope because it's been years since you even encountered God's voice. And yes, you'll celebrate and yes, you'll have a festival and yes, you'll worship, but you're wondering when he will meet you in your right here and your right now. That's where they are. That's where these people are. Not knowing that God is in their very midst. In the midst of their struggle, in the midst of their waiting, in the midst of their longing, God is right there. It seems in our current world, we don't do well with being desperate. We like to look good rather than look desperate. And and we're very good at lying. Very good at lying. So people are like, how are you? I'm fine. I've not slept for six years now. (laughs) But I'm fine. How's work? I'm fine. I want to slash my boss's tires, actually. 
I dream about it every day. It gives me joy. But I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. God is still on his throne. In my mind, I'm scared of the thoughts that are happening in my mind, if I'm honest. How's married life? It's great. I hate them. Uh, It's great. Because heaven forbid we come into the presence of God looking desperate. Heaven forbid that we come into the presence of God not having it all together. Because what does it say about our kids if they're, I mean us? What does it say about our families? What does it say about our faith if things aren't together? And so we're falling apart in private. As though that's where it's supposed to be done. We adopt a global stiff upper lip and carry on. And yet here, Jesus is meeting the desperate. Those who are unashamed of admitting that their lives are a mess and need more of him. And maybe it's things that we're desperate for that are the things that define us right now. Um, Maybe we're desperate for some hope. Our lives have been a struggle, an ongoing struggle. In different chapters of my life, I've wrestled with anxiety and anxiety attacks and panic attacks. And for those of you who've encountered that, first of all, no shame. And second of all, it's not fun at all, is it? Who wants to go first and say that's where they're struggling because we don't know it's safe? I wouldn't want to seem desperate, but that's where my life has been. And sometimes it's an answered prayer we're desperate for, or God to just do something, show up in our lives in an ordinary, everyday way. When I was in my 20s, which seems so long ago now, why? Anyway, when I was in my 20s, so I joined this church um, not far from where I, well, I joined this church in, in my college town, and I went there in all honesty because there were men there. Um, there could have been, oh, I know the worship, yeah, the worship was great, and the teacher, there were 50-50, I thought they were good statistics for me. I had missions of my own. I felt the Lord would fulfill them this way. I thought it was a rocking plan, to be brutally honest with you. Um, and all of us were there, loads of young adults, great stats and everything. And no one was dating because we were all a bit weird. And um, we didn't know how to do that sort of thing. We didn't know how to act at all. But um, and there came a point when people started dating. And me and my friends, we had this real weird habit of watching all these movies. That wasn't the weird habit. That was just Friday. And... Um, watching movies, and then we'd be like, let's pray that God would provide our husbands. And I thought, okay. And I seem to have this reverse spiritual gift. I named it that. That's not really a thing, in case you're wondering. Um, where they w- we would pray, and they'd meet this incredible person, and I would meet a situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. And um, in the midst of the situation, there would be these weddings that would happen. And the first year, it was wonderful. And I got to wear a dress and my mum would have been so proud if I'd have taken a picture. And um, the next year, the next year were four weddings. And that was fine. Really, it was fine. Really, it was fine. And, you know, there are films with that name in England. It's fine. Four weddings, we go. The next year, there were 12 weddings. I know, friends of Chicagoland. Thank you. Thank you. and um there aren't enough clothes to make me feel good about this moment because I'm praying all the time and they're meeting and I'm meeting situations complicated situations I was the complicated situation and um I remember at these weddings and I don't know whether I just had 
something on my, like neon over me, but people would come up to me and say, don't worry, Joe. One day it'll be your turn. And they would tilt their head to the side, and I'm like, my head is here. I'm like, I'm not there, here. And, uh, and it was really unhelpful. And then people would say, you know, Joe, you'll meet someone when you're not looking. You know what I find when I'm not looking? I walk into things when I'm not looking. <laughs> you know what happens when I'm not looking? I walk off stages when I'm not looking. I step in things when, when I'm not looking. Instead, I responded by saying, bless you. As though somebody had sneezed. But the truth was I was desperate. And I was frustrated because, and I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed that I cared so much. I was embarrassed that I wanted it so much. I was embarrassed because my ideals had become a bit of an idol. I was embarrassed because I thought it was a legit thing to pray. I prayed it for other people. People would kind of hang out with me just so I would pray for them. It was so weird. That was my 20s. So weird. And I used to pray and I used to say, God, I've been a really good girl for you recently. I haven't done anything inappropriate for quite some time now. I tithe and I give offerings. I respect my elders. I'm Nigerian. I respect how we roll. I look after young people. Answer my prayers. I was desperate. And on one level, we joke about the things we're desperate for, but equally, I was in that place where it talks about in Proverbs about hope deferred making the heart sick. Ever been in a place where you've prayed and waited and prayed and waited and wondered and maybe popped in with God and gave him a few ideas of how he could accelerate the situation and prayed and waited and still there's nothing. And that is the setting we have for these people who are chasing God because they've prayed and they've waited and they've prayed and they've hoped and they've longed and they've worshipped and still nothing. Where are you desperate? And how are you currently handling your desperation? Do we cover it up and say God is still on his throne? Which is true, but he didn't need reminding. I found I had other outlets. I haven't always, I became a Christian as a kid. Um, and sometimes my desperation took me in unhelpful directions. Because it, was, it somehow felt better than admitting it to God. And fearing disappointment again. I want you not to turn to the person next to you and say what your desperation is, but I want you to bring it to mind, to admit that it's there for a moment. The long-term prayer, the long-term struggle, the long-term thing, the chronic situation. You know, those of us who have prayed and we've seen someone else get their dream come true, where we are grateful that we hold a baby in, in, in our arms as a godparent, but we wish that we were the parent this time, where we've received the diagnosis that no one ever wanted where we had hopes and longings to be free from that addiction by now, but it's still there. Where we longed for the job that would help our family get back on their feet, and we are still underground. Where we've encountered injustice after injustice, and we are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Where are you disappointed because hope deferred has made your heart sick and it is defining every part of your life? Because this word, these verses include you. This story speaks to your story. Yes, there's bread and we'll get to the bread in a bit. 
But it began with desperation. It began with hundreds of years of waiting. It began with oppression and marginalization and, for, and feeling forgotten and wondering if God ever saw their story. These are words for you too. And the thing I find fascinating in this moment is that Jesus always does weird things and not what we'd expect. And Jesus looks up in verse 5 and he sees a great crowd coming towards him. It's like a swarm of people coming towards him. And he turns to Philip and says, where are we going to get bread for these people? Where are we going to get bread? How are we going to meet their legitimate needs? I'd have hated to be Philip in that moment. Why are you asking me for? (laughs) You're you. (laughs) I'm me. But we know, don't we, in the story of, of the Bible, when God is asking a question, it's not because he is insecure. It's not because he doesn't know the answer. But he's inviting us. He's inviting us to engage. Philip, what are you going to do about this? What can be done about this? And I wonder, as you think of your areas of desperation in your life, what question is Jesus asking you today? And where have you been sick and tired of it so much that you don't want to wrestle with him? But Jesus is inviting you to say, hey, what would it look like to look at this again? What would it look like to do more than coping? And the mechanisms that have held you in check, what would it look like to look at this again? What question... Is Jesus asking you today? There are three responses we see to this question in these verses. In verse 7, there's Philip. And he's like, look, I've done my calculations. I've got my Casio here. Calculator. Good times in the 90s. I've got my calculator. And as I'm looking at the numbers, this will not change because we need at least half a year's wages just to give them a bite of food. I am at the end of this, Jesus. There is no target nearby. That will feed these people. I always like to bring Target into a talk. It's my thing. (laughs) He is at the end of himself. He's looked at the hard, brutal facts of the situation, and there is no answer. And maybe we have looked at the brutal, hard facts of our scenarios, and there is no answer. No good one. Just, Jesus, it's impossible. Real talk in front of the King of Kings. The next one is Andrew, where he's like, well, there's somebody who's got a little bit of bread here, but that's not going to go very far. Jesus? And you have Andrew who's looking at the situation and thinking, well, I've looked around. I'm stuck. I do not have answers for you, Jesus. Thank you for inviting me in this conversation. I was just walking away, actually. And then we have this boy. This boy who could have thought, I don't know what's going on, and just thought, as long as I feed myself, I'll be fine. Who has five loaves, barley loaves. And the barley bread of that time, is the, it's the bread of the very poor. It's inadequate. The poorest of the poor had barley bread. And two fish. And I was reading these theologians talking about how this fish would have been pickled. I thought, that sounds like a delectable meal. Um, how many stars will that get? He has an inadequate meal and an inadequate offering. Nothing that anybody else would want. The leftovers of the leftovers of the leftovers. That's all I got for you, Jesus. 
but I'll bring it to you. This is what I've got to offer. Those are the three responses we see. And I wonder what our three responses might be, or more responses that we have to our desperate situation with Jesus. Maybe we've calculated and said, look, I've looked at the facts, it's impossible. There's nothing that can be done. And I don't know how we even deal with this. Or maybe there's a curiosity and a conflictedness which says, Jesus, it's impossible. There's this, but I don't know how to act. But what we see and what we'll see as we go through this passage is that there's a breakthrough with this one who brings this very inadequate offering. So I've got this. This is all I have. This is all I've got. I know it's not enough, but I'm going to give it to you. Our responses at this time as we face our desperate situations may not be the prayers of faith we hoped we'd pray under pressure. They may not be the songs we hope to sing in times of desperation. They may not be the words beautifully curated that we hoped we'd give. But in the hands of God, there are all kinds of things that can happen when we're honest about where we're at. Each of them gave a very honest answer. This is impossible. I don't know, and this is all I got. And maybe you come to God with your, this is impossible. I really don't know. But he also invites us to come with, and this is all I've got. I can't help what's going on. But I'm coming to you. And what we see in Jesus in his response is a, it's almost so miraculous that there's, I find it fascinating that the passage is just like, and Jesus gave thanks and then gave food to everybody. And you're like, hold on a second. (laughs) This was just five loaves here. But there's something in the breaking of the bread in, in God, in human form, coming to this world that provides a miracle for these people. That he takes this inadequate thing that was surrendered to him and he changes everybody's story. That he comes into the emptiness of the world. And we know it's echoes of the past. Of God the deliverer in the days of the exodus. We know it's, um, it's pointing to the future that Jesus' own body would be broken and poured out for a broken world. His broken life for our broken lives. His broken body for our broken bodies. His blood for our blood. For our life. We know he's pointing to all these things, the symbolism of the past, the pointing to the future, but also in that present, he is doing something miraculous in their story and reminding them that God is not done, that God is not finished, and that he not only has the last word, he is the last word in their lives. And that's more than a platitude. He will meet their needs. And it's fascinating that nothing is wasted that there are 12 loaves afterwards, 12 loaves, no, sorry, 12 baskets full of these loaves of bread. And some theologians point to the 12 tribes of Israel, a sign that God was showing his provision for all of God's people. And some point to the 12 disciples and say, you know, it's a sign that God was doing this new thing and providing for all of those people. And it reminds us that God is a generous and abundant God. He gives us more than enough because he loves his kids. He likes his kids. And he loves his kids. And he meets our needs in ways we don't even expect. His first um, response to them was, hey, get everybody sitting down. He didn't even say he was going to feed them. And so Paul Phillips like, I just told you it's impossible and you're telling me to get people to sit together. There's Andrew saying, I don't know what to do and you're telling me to get people to sit together. 
Sometimes the way Jesus leads us doesn't even make sense. It's not the way we'd have done it. I've talked to the Lord about this. I'm like, seriously? I know you're amazing, but help me out here. I've got some very good ideas on how we can wrap things up and answer my prayers. I believe you gave me a mind. Let me use that mind to help you out. (laughs) Sometimes the way Jesus leads us is not the way we chose to be led. There we were saying, God, fix my problems. And he's like, go and see a doctor. Jesus, fix my family. It's time for you guys to talk. Jesus, fix my situation. I need you to know you're already enough. Jesus, I hate what I see when when I look in the mirror. And he says, I say, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, actually. Sometimes the way he begins to respond to our situations are not the ways we'd have responded because we just want to turn up not looking so desperate. He wants to make all things new. It's a whole other level. Are we willing to walk with him in the things that don't even make sense as he responds to our desperate prayers? But in this, um, in this meal, we see the abundance of God, the generosity of God. And I was thinking about it, I was reminded um, when I'd go, like we, family parties and stuff, Nigerian family parties, they start whenever they start and they finish days later. And um, if you turn up five hours late, you're about on time. And so, but it's always a wonderful thing. And I always think of my aunties who would not let me leave without extra food. Always extra food. Because jollof rice is too good to be wasted. Point one. And two, an expression of love is making sure you've got more than enough. And so when I see these words of these extra loaves for people to take, I mean, they've still got to get home, these people. And God is providing for them. And I believe that God's meeting us and his desire to meet us is not just to give us just enough but that he comes with generous love. He comes with generous kindness. He comes because he doesn't need scarcity when he comes in abundance and will meet our lives with his generosity. It's hard to believe it, isn't it? When you've wandered in the wilderness for years. It's hard to believe it when you've been hungry and desperate for so long. I'm trying to imagine the mind flip it must have been for the people of God at that moment when they've been running desperate after God and now they're suddenly given an abundance. Nothing was wasted because God had more to give them. And I believe God has more to give us as well. But then there's a weird kind of slight plot twist at the end. I do love it when a Bible passage ends slightly weird. And they're like, okay, you've met my needs. You should be king. You're like, what? I mean, thank you would have been good. But Jesus pulls away. Jesus pulls away because they've decided now, oh, you've met my need. Now you can do all these things. Oh, I know, get rid of the Romans. Oh, I know, why don't we make you do this? Do it by force. There have been times when God has begun to meet my needs and I thought, oh, well, why didn't you become God on my terms? Fantastic. I've got all these other things you can fix for me the way I'd like. Thank you so much. But I feel in this moment of surrender... And the reason why it's a call to surrender is because even as we reach to God to meet our needs, even as we reach to God in our desperation, will we let him be God? It sounds really obvious in a way, and yet I'm so good at trying to make him the God I'd like. On whose terms we see here? And Jesus is like, it's not time for all the things that you're wanting. I will redeem a broken humanity. I am the king of kings, but because I'm the king and you're not, I'm going to do it the way it needs to be done. 
And even as God meets our needs, and even as God is generous, he invites us to surrender to a God who is bigger than the stories that have broken us. And he will meet those needs, and he will redeem our lives, and he will restore the years that the locust has eaten, and he will do amazing things for us, but he comes as God. Are we ready to surrender? Are we ready for God to come into our lives on God's terms, not just our own? In God's way. Oh, I hate to say it, even in God's time. Are we ready for God to show up in a way that doesn't make sense to us, but he knows what he's doing? It's so hard if we feel trust has been eroded. But I encourage you, brothers and sisters, I'll call you that now because, you know, we've shared a polar vortex together. I encourage you, even in the desperate places of your life, to reach to him again. I encourage you to come with your calculations of where it doesn't work. I encourage you to come with the broken pieces of your life. I encourage you to come and and come like that boy. I think he's an example to all of us. That we say, Lord, what I've got isn't enough, but I surrender. I surrender and I invite you to be king and you do a miracle on my behalf. And it may be in a weird way I don't expect, and it may still be longer than I'd like, and it may be harder than I hoped, but I entrust my being, I entrust my story, I entrust my desperate places to you, because you're God, and you are mighty, and you are powerful, and you are stronger. And sometimes we surrender, and we surrender with joy, and sometimes we surrender through the tears, Because in surrendering, we have no control of our answers. But brothers and sisters, wherever you are desperate today, know this, God sees you, God loves you, and he rises to meet you. He sees you coming with everything that can't be answered, but he comes to meet you as God. Not just a fix-it Jesus, although I do love those hashtags. He comes as king as kings. He comes as lord as lords. He comes as one who will turn your life around. Stage by stage, day by day, process by process, making all things new. Just as we close, let's take a moment together. And I just want to give you some time to pray. And obviously this is the Midwest, so I'm not asking us to do this out loud. Um, But I, I want to invite you in the silence just to give God a bit of time. I like to call it doing business with God. You know the desperate parts of your story. Let's just take a few moments in the quiet to talk to him about them. To say where you're really at. To admit to him where it's really hard and where it's a real struggle. And then after a little while, I'll wrap up at the end. But just in the quietness, take some time to pray. Father God, I want to thank you that you see our story and you know our story. 
You know the things that have broken us. You know the questions that don't have easy answers. You know the desperate places. You know that even in the midst of the festival where we celebrate what you've done and we come to the table and make an exchange, for some of us it's still real hard to follow you. I thank you, Lord, like Hagar said, you are the God who sees us. And so, Lord, I entrust every single one of my brothers and sisters to you, and I ask, Lord, for a miracle. But, Lord, in this place where we surrender, Lord, would you bring a breakthrough? Would you bring a breakthrough, Lord Jesus? We come with our impossibilities. We come with our I don't knows. But, Lord, also we come with surrender. What we have is inadequate, but we come to entrust ourselves to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done in our lives, in our stories, as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.